So our target verse this evening, verse 13 of Romans 15, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The discussion that Paul's having in chapter 14 and 15 has to do with loving one another, of not causing your brother to stumble, your sister to stumble with your liberties. We talked about that last week in chapter 14. And and chapter 15 is similar, of, of bearing with one another's burdens. But in the midst of this discussion, Paul just lays on us this truth about who God is. And he says, now may the God of hope. I want you to stop and process that for just a moment, that God is the God of hope. That's just who he is. And how we know that he's the God of hope is really because of the resurrection of Christ. Peter describes our hope as a living hope because Christ is risen from the dead. It's one thing for God to say, I'm the God of hope, but he has backed it up. He's proven it with the empty tomb. Because Christ is risen, there's several things that are true for us. Eternal life is true. The promise of eternal life is true for us. The promise of forgiveness of sins, that all of our sins are buried with Christ and we're risen in newness of life. That the power of sin is broken in our lives. That Christ is going to return in the same manner that he went up, he is going to return. So this is who God is in his very character and nature is that he's the God of hope. And he wants to fill us. And the whole idea of being filled is we can't fill ourselves. If you've got a glass, that glass cannot fill itself. It has the capacity to be filled, but someone has to come and fill it, right? Your coffee mug has to be filled. And we're vessels and we need to be filled. This is something that we can't provide for ourselves. And God wants to give us joy and peace. No matter what our circumstance is, he wants to provide to us peace and joy. The truth of scripture is, even in the midst of hard times, we can have a peace that surpasses understanding. Now, we don't always live in that, but Philippians chapter four instructs us that if we're thankful and we stop worrying and we start praying, that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. What is your heart filled with tonight? It's filled with something. And God wants to empty out the stuff of the world, the stuff of our sin, of our flesh, and he wants to replace that with his peace and also with joy, joy in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Happiness is based on your circumstances. You got a raise, happy, you got fired, not so happy anymore, but joy is based upon who God is and his promises. And God wants to fill our lives with joy. Now, notice how peace and joy come into our lives. We can't provide this in and of ourselves, but we can take the lid off. If you think of a glass with a lid on it, well, we have the capacity, the opportunity, the responsibility to take the lid off, and that's through believing. As we believe, as we trust 
in the Lord, then joy and peace come into our lives. This is not talking about salvation, but this is talking about Christian living. This is talking about day-to-day life, real things. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Man, the all is the difficult part of that passage. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Trust. So many times I feel in my relationship with my father is he's lovingly holding back the peace and the joy until I trust him. He's just waiting. Like, Eric, are you, you going to solve this on your own? Are you going to carry this on your own? Well, let me know when you get tired. Let me know when you're ready to, to trust me. There's been some situations in our family and Amber and I's life where God was wrestling with my heart and waiting for me to place it in his hands. And then once I did, there was literal breakthrough. And Amber's like, why'd you wait so long? You know, God, God's patient. He's long suffering saying, I'm trustworthy, but Eric, will you trust me? Will you, will you believe? You think of rock climbing, if you've ever had that opportunity or, or then being belayed, where it comes to the time where you've, you've finished the climb and you can't climb down, you've got to trust, trust the rope. You're trusting the person that's belaying you, you're trusting the equipment, you're, you're trusting that the rope has the ability, and there's that moment of truth where you've got to launch off the rock and, and trust the, the rope. And for us, we may know up here that God is trustworthy, but to put our weight upon him, and as we believe in him, then the joy and the peace come into our lives. The verse goes on to say that you would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants us as his children to be overflowing, to be multiplying with hope. Would you say that right now, as a culture and a society, we're struggling with hope? We're, we're struggling to be hopeful for the future. You look around at the government, and my goodness, you're not feeling hopeful, right? You look around at the economy, and you see how much inflation is going up, and it's hard to feel hopeful, right? It's hard to have comfort when you're paying so much more for groceries and gas and doesn't seem to be changing any anytime soon. You look internationally, there's, there's world conflict. There's so much violence that's taking place in, in our country. And it's easy to be in a place where we're not abounding in hope. But remember, who's Paul writing to? He's writing to Christians in the Roman Empire. Talk about struggles with government. They're being persecuted by Nero. This is not an easy life for them. This is a difficult time to be a Christian. And yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they can abound in hope. And once again, this is a work that God does in our lives through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit. God meeting us in his presence, meeting us through the power of the Holy Spirit, where then we experience hope. So I want to cover four things in this area of hope, and we're going to launch into some different parts of Scripture as well. Is first, I think we have to define hope. If you're taking notes, write down, number one, define hope. What in the world is hope? Hope, biblically, is very different than the cultural view or understanding of hope. 
When we talk about hope in culture, it's really a wish or a whim that things will get better. Like for instance, I hope the Broncos are better this year. Anybody tired of watching the Broncos lose? So we have hope because Russell Wilson has come, come to town. A lot of pressure on that guy's shoulders. But that's the context in which we use hope. But that's not what hope means in the Bible. When you read the word hope in the Bible, it's the confident expectation of coming good based upon God's character and promises. So it's us knowing God's character and his promises We know that there's coming good for us as believers. Well, we have to go a little further in that definition because it's good from whose perspective? Not necessarily good from my perspective, but good from God's perspective. And that's what Romans 8, 28 teaches us, that God's working all things together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So God in his master plan might allow suffering in my life for ultimate good for me to know Christ more and to bring people to himself. In hindsight, I go, wow, that was good, but it sure didn't feel good. You following me? So the definition of hope is expectation of coming good based on God's character and promises, and good is defined by God. Good is defined by God. So now that we have hope defined, how do we really know that God's character is good? Do do we know that in his character is the essence of goodness? Yes, absolute yes. And I think there's a lot of ways. When we look at creation, the amazing display of creation, our human bodies, the way that God has designed our human bodies, it shows us the goodness of God. But creation in and of itself doesn't fully display the character of God. Because also with creation, there's a fallen aspect. There's hurricanes, there's tornadoes, there's earthquakes. But what shows us the goodness of God more than anything else is the cross of Jesus Christ. Where God loved us enough to give us what's most valued to him, his son. Where his son would die for you, die for me. So how will he not, with him, with Jesus, freely give us all good things? It's, it's the cross. It's what we celebrate tonight in communion, where we know that we know that God is good and he does good, and that's the definition of hope. Well, number two, in this discussion of hope, there's eternal hope. Throughout Scripture, God encourages us to lift our eyes to heaven, to eternity, to be our source of hope. And isn't hope powerful? Like if you have something that you're looking forward to that you know is coming in the next few weeks or months, isn't that really helpful? I always found in school, right around spring break, that school got a little bit easier because I knew we were almost done with the school year. I had hope that it, that it was ending, right? going to get out of here. I'm not going to be staring at these four walls any longer. And as believers, we know, we know that this is not all there is. Jesus in John 14, it's at the end of his life. He's talking with his disciples. He knows he's going to the cross. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in me, 
know that I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I will come again and receive you unto myself. What's the source of comfort for the disciples of not having a troubled heart? Elections, elections. You guys are going to get the Romans out of here, so don't let your hearts uh, be troubled. No, it was heaven. I'm going to prepare a place for you. God created this world. Genesis account in six days, spoke all things into existence. He's been working on heaven for quite a while. Imagine what heaven's going to be like. I'm preparing a place for you. Heaven's not going to be boring. It's everything good in this life expedited, much better, multiplied. But the best thing about heaven is Jesus said, and there I will be with you. We're going to be with God. We're going to see God. We're going to behold God. Job, in the midst of his challenges, he had his children die. He lost all of his possessions. He lost his health. The only things that remained, his wife, who encouraged him to curse God and die, and three miserable friends were Job says to his friends, you guys are miserable comforters. In the middle of this struggle, before God speaks to him, Job says this. He says, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. So many things that Job didn't know. So many things that he didn't understand in the midst of his loss. But he says, this is what I know. In this flesh, I'm going to see God. He believed in the eternal hope. He believed that he was going to receive a glorified body. Is your heart troubled tonight? Is your heart in a hopeless state? How much are you looking to the things of this earth? And how much are you looking forward to your home in heaven? Turn with me in your Bible over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes uh, this section as well. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, going into to chapter 5. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Again, this issue of heart, this issue of not being hopeless. Even though our outward man is perishing. Yes and amen? Do you feel that? The outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Getting recharged by the Lord day by day. For our light affliction. This is why he can consider his affliction light. Which is but for a moment. It's temporary. Is working for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Those trials are working for us an eternal benefit. They're not being wasted. While we do not look at the things which are seen, the economy, the government, the violence, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but with the things which are not seen are eternal. It's that eternal perspective. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. God likens this body to a tent. If you do like tent camping, it's a temporary existence. Nobody, 
wants to live in a tent 365 days a year, right? It's great for three days. But after three days of camping and no showering and sleeping on the ground, like, get me to my permanent dwelling. And my family's saying, get dad to a shower. He really needs one, right? This was never created to be eternal. This is a, this is a temporary dwelling but when we get to heaven, we have a building from God, a house. This speaks of our glorified body that God has prepared for us that's eternal. God's going to resurrect this body into a glorified body that's never going to sin, never going to see death. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. We grow, we go through this life groaning. Oh. Ultimately, we're longing for heaven. We're longing to be clothed. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, not because we hate this life. This life is a gift and to be lived to the fullest for God's glory, but further clothed that mortality might be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Did you catch that? God has prepared us for heaven. He's put eternity in our hearts. There's a part of you that's longing for heaven that's not going to be satisfied until you get there. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. If I'm in this body, I'm absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As soon as we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. A big part of hope is a heavenly perspective, is eternal perspective. But there's more. There's more when it comes to hope. There's heavenly, eternal hope, but there's also earthly hope as well. Turn with me to Psalms 27. Psalms 27. All right, let's be challenged a little bit. Let's challenge ourselves a little bit. We really haven't entered into the hope that God provides for us. We're really not living in hope if we look forward to heaven, but we don't have any expectation for this life. The easy thing for us as believers is to kind of default, well, heaven is going to be good, but this life's just going to suck. Like, I, I don't really know that there's, there's any point to this life. I don't know that there's really any point to pressing into to tomorrow. And maybe even if you take that logic out to its fullest degree, some Christians that would commit suicide thinking, well, heaven's so good, I'm just going to rush myself into eternity. Biblical hope is looking forward to heaven but also understanding that Jesus is now and he has a purpose for my days and he has allotted how long I'm going to live on this planet. And that's why Psalms 27 is so important because David expresses earthly hope as well. The first few verses of Psalms 27, it's a difficult time in David's life. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We don't know exactly when this is in David's life, but it seems like when Saul is trying to kill him. How would you like the most powerful person in the country trying to kill you? And he says, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this I shall be confident. David's very life is on the line. The wicked are surrounding him. Saul and his army is, is coming around him. But he focuses on what he does have. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We really can only operate inside of what we can control, which is very little. And what I mean by that is David can't control the fact that he's being attacked by Saul, but he can control how he's going to respond. And Saul cannot take the one thing away from him, and that's to dwell in God's presence. And that's the message of hope. The difficult job, the difficult health situation, everything that's going on in our country, none of that can take away access to God to his presence, to fellowship with him, to his love. And David's saying, I'm holding on to this. This is the one thing that I'm pressing into. Now see how David ends the psalm in verse 13. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost heart. I would have been hopeless in this situation of Saul trying to kill me unless I believed that I, I trusted that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living, here and now, in this life. Part of hope is knowing when we come to our deathbed that we're going to be able to look back and go, I experienced the goodness of God. Not that everything went my way and there weren't challenging difficulties, but I got to understand that my father is good in a greater way. If you've walked with the Lord for your period of time, a few years, aren't you able to look back and see the goodness of God? If you've just received Christ as your Savior, aren't you able to look back and see God leading you to this place of receiving Christ as your Savior? We're going to see and experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. So, parents, are we parenting in hope? One of my friends, good friends, he always brings that up as a point of challenge. Are you parenting in hope? In this expectation that God is good and he's going to do good and you're going to see the goodness of God. Now, are there any promises that everything are going to go our way inside of parenting? No. But are we parenting our hope? Are you doing marriage in hope, husbands and wives? Are you in a place of living out marriage with your spouse in hope that you're going to see the goodness of God in your marriage? Because that, that's who God is. Maybe the, the circumstances may not change, but you're going to see the, the goodness of God in your marriage. Are you doing marriage in hope? In hope. Are we living out our work life in hope? Okay, Lord, I'm laboring in the field. This is what you have for me to do. 
and I'm doing it in hope that I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Singleness, being single. Are you living out singleness in hope? Not just the hope that someday you'll be married. It's always interesting in a setting like this. We've got a handful of you that are married that would like to be single. And we've got a handful of you that are single that would like to be married, right? So yeah, there's this hope that maybe God will bring you the right person. But even more than that, that God is going to show you his goodness in your singleness. So Lord, however long this is, if I'm single the rest of my life or it's a season, I am living out my singleness in hope. It's so easy for us to be in a place where we've become hopeless. The last verse of Psalms 27 is, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And this is not passive. This is actively pursuing God in worship and prayer and his word. God, I'm waiting upon you. I'm giving you my time. I'm seeking you. And as we wait upon the Lord, spend time with the Lord, pour out our heart before him, he strengthens our heart. One more section of scripture, Lamentations chapter 3. If you go a little bit to the right in your Bible, get to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Lamentations is a book of weeping. Imagine if you wrote a book and you just called it Weeping. Do you think it would be a New York Times bestseller? That's the book of Lamentations. And this is the battle for hope. And this is where I think a lot of us live. I know that, that I live in, in this place. I'm so thankful that the Bible is filled with struggling sinners like you and me. We tend to think of people in the Bible as they've got it all figured out, but they were struggling. They're struggling just like we do. That's what I love so much about the Psalms. You find the psalmist battling for hope. Here's my circumstance, here's my discouragement, but going to the right source with that, going to God and allowing God to encourage. I've never heard someone ask for the ministry of Jeremiah. You know, sometimes in prayer meetings, people, Lord, give me the power of Elijah. You know, give me the heart for the loss of the Apostle Paul. Why? Because Jeremiah preached faithfully and we don't see one person responding to the message of God. And in fact, they continue to harden their hearts and end up getting taken into captivity by the Babylonians. But God loved Judah enough for them to have the message. And Jeremiah is frustrated. I want you to picture Jeremiah hanging out at your house tonight or having coffee with Jeremiah. And he's pouring out his heart to God. And we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 21 as he battles for hope. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. This is speaking to God here. Ever felt that way? God, you turned all the lights out. You're causing me to, to walk in darkness. 
Surely he's turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. This is the prophet Jeremiah. He feels that God's hand is against him. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. Do you ever feel like you're aging faster because you live in Colorado Springs with the altitude and the sun? Well, Jeremiah felt that way too. He, but he's saying, God has aged my flesh and my skin. God has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He's set me in a dark place like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Jeremiah wants to be non-profit. He's a prophet and he wants to go non-profit. But God won't allow him. God's, God's not taking his resignation letter. Ever felt that way? Lord, I, I'm just hedged in. I know that this is where you've called me. I want out, but, but you won't let me out. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. God, I feel like you're not listening. He's blocked my ways with a hewn stone. He has made my path crooked. He, he's blocking my path. He has been to me a bear lying in wait like a lion in ambush. This is how he's feeling towards the Lord. And he has the courage to be transparent with God about it. He says, instead of you feeling like a father, you feel like a bear. Like you're just waiting to attack me and, and I'm your prey. He's turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He, he's shooting his arrow at me. I become his target. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I've become the ridicule of all my people. Their taunting song all day long. He didn't get thank you cards and encouraging emails. No, nobody was thanking Jeremiah for his, for his message. He was the laughing stock. He was ridiculed. He has filled me with bitterness and made me drink wormwood. This is my favorite in verse 16. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ash. <laughs> he just feels like God's shoving gravel on his face. Even to the point where it's breaking his teeth. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. I don't know what peace is like in my soul. I've forgotten what good times are like. Prosperity literally means good. I've forgotten good. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. The great faithful prophet Jeremiah, what does he say? My hope has died. My hope is dead. My hope is, is perished. Maybe that's where you feel tonight in some area of your life or a lot of areas of your life. It's, man, I'm not living in hope and my hope is dead. It's perished. Remember my affliction and my roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. Well, God bless you guys. Have a great night. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for coming. Things turn around in verse 21. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Somewhere in the midst of Jeremiah's struggles and difficulties, he lost sight of the character of God. 
the truth of who God is. And he had to recall it back to mind. And as he recalled back to mind the mercy of God, the love of God, hope was rebirthed in his life. Most of us will go through cycles when it comes to hope. It would be nice if we were always hopeful in every area of our life. But then we probably wouldn't be human either. And there'll be times like Jeremiah that we may be in discouragement. There's a couple of areas in in my life tonight that I feel like I'm battling for hope. There's some areas where I think I'm, I'm living in hope and the character of God, the goodness of God. And then there's other areas where, where I'm struggling. I'm struggling like, like Jeremiah to, to be in a place of hope. So what does he recall to mind? Verse 22, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassion fails not. Jeremiah feels like God's against him, but the reality, the truth is, is God is actually being merciful and compassionate towards him. And sometimes in our circumstances, we feel like God's against us. We feel like maybe he's a bear against us. But the truth is, at any moment of any given day, if God gave me what I deserve, it would be absolute judgment. Hell is very real. Hell is for sinners. I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. It's not unholy for God to send me to hell. If it weren't for God's mercy in the blood of Jesus Christ, I'd be going to hell. I'd have God's judgment. I wouldn't have God's God's favor. God is merciful towards me. God is compassionate towards me. And when I remember that, all of a sudden, my perspective begins to change. Verse 23 They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What's new every morning? God's mercy and his compassion. His mercy and his compassion. Why is God's mercy new, fresh, every morning and his compassion? Because I need a fresh outpouring of his mercy and his compassion. And there's not a day where God doesn't renew his mercy, and his compassion. The sunrise is a reminder that God is giving me a new outpouring of mercy, of steadfast love, of compassion, that this is his attitude towards me. And great, 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 great is his faithfulness. Goes on in verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, Therefore, I have hope in him. Jeremiah's portion is not how Judah responds to his message. Jeremiah's portion is not what people think about him. Jeremiah's portion is not his possessions or lack thereof. God's call in his life didn't result in all of these great possessions. What's his portion? The Lord himself is my portion, says my soul, speaking to his mind and his emotions and his will. God is my portion. Therefore, therefore, I have hope in him. Sure seems like Jeremiah is kind of bipolar, right? 
Is this the same Jeremiah that we just read about? Yep. Sounds like you and me, doesn't it? When we're focused on our circumstances, when we're focused on the results or the lack thereof, we feel completely hopeless. But we recall this to mind. We, We recall the character of God, that he's merciful and compassionate, and then hope enters into our souls. Well, we talked about this briefly on Saturday and Sunday, that, that Satan is an opportunist. And he has been attacking to try to get believers to a place of being hopeless. And when we look at this world, when we look at circumstances in our lives, it's very easy to start to feel hopeless. But the God of the resurrection, Jesus, the the lover of our souls, he's here tonight and he wants to restore us to a place of hope. There may be breakthrough in some of our circumstances and there may not, but either way, he wants to change our perspective to where we're abounding in hope through an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask you to do something that takes humility. And that is to raise your hand that there's an area of your life where you've been living in hopelessness. And to ask that God would move us from a place of hopelessness to a place of hope. And I don't know why, it's probably part of the spiritual battle, but maybe the most difficult place, unfortunately, to be honest, can be in church, you know? But God already knows. You may be feeling hopeless that God will forgive your sins, living in condemnation. You may be feeling hopeless that he can give you the power to change and be different and no longer walk in defeat. You may be at a place where you're contemplating taking your own life, contemplating suicide. It may be at this place where you've just punted and you've said, I'm just going to keep going through the motions and I don't really expect anything to change and it's too hard to, to live with expectation because I get disappointed. Maybe in your marriage or relationship with kids or with the body of Christ. You you have a hopeless mindset towards the body of Christ. Maybe it is everything that's taking place with our government and our economy and reading the news, listening to the news, watching the news, and your mind's just filled with, with hopelessness. Whatever it is, God's ready to meet us with hope. So if that's where you're at, in just a moment, I want to ask you to raise your hand and just kind of pray together, and then we're going to enter into communion. And we're called to do this often in remembrance of Jesus, to get our eyes off our circumstances, to get our eyes upon the cross, where we're reminded that God indeed is merciful. He's compassionate and he's good. So would you, would you pray with me? Father, you do know us and, and you love us. Amazing. And you know the areas of our lives where We're not living in hope. You tell us in Proverbs that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And many of us have a a sick heart. 
because of hopelessness. And we're encouraged by Jeremiah's encounter with you. And we want to encounter you. Encounter the power of the Holy Spirit.